too. And uh, out of intensive care and back out of the hospital, I was on oxygen. And uh, every time I would stand up, I couldn't breathe. My oxygen numbers would plummet. That went on. I thought I'd be finished with that oxygen after a couple of weeks being discharged, but that didn't happen. And then two months later, it still was not happening. And uh, I would try to preach without it, and I'd have to stop. (laughs) I had it right here under the pulpit, and I'd have to put the cannula in my nose, and I'm thinking they're going to be distracted. They're not listening to what I say. They're worried about me. Brother Oates is looking a little more purple than he usually does. And and so I just left it in, and I preached, and I preached, I guess, about six Sundays with oxygen. And, uh, and uh, last Sunday was my first time to complete from beginning to ending a sermon without oxygen. This is my second attempt. All right, Brother Althage, I hope you don't know CPR because let, just let me go to heaven if, it, if it's just you, okay? Uh, I, uh, I want you to see something in the Bible tonight. Again, this may be something that you've seen already or something your pastor is going to show you later. And even if he does, this is something that I think we need to hear again and again. Revelation chapter 2 begins with verse number 1. I'm not going to turn to other verses in the Bible. We're just going to stick with these verses that are before us in Revelation chapter 2 and verse and, and chapter number 3. But beginning with verse number 1, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These saying, things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Boy, those are good things, aren't they? I would hope that those things could be said of this church, and I think that they could. And I think that they could be said of the church that the folks there call me pastor. But all of a sudden, verse 4, there's that word, nevertheless. Had a lot of good things I wanted to compliment you on. I want to point out that you're doing Some wonderful, wonderful things. Look at it in verse 2. I know thy works. It's a working church. Thy labor. Thy patience. How thou canst not bear them which are evil. You don't put up with anything. Anybody that says they're uh, of God, then you test it and make sure that they are. And if they're not, uh, you find them as liars. You're theologically sound and... uh, You don't give up, hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. It's not like it used to be. I may be talking to somebody here tonight that you've been saved for a long time, but you're not as happy as you used to be when you first got saved, maybe. And if that's the case, I would hope that it's not, but if that's the case, 
um, you might fit into this scenario. Oh, you're doing some good things. You're not doing bad things. You just don't have the joy of the Lord. It's no longer your strength. And the journey is not as sweet as it once was. And the solution, if that's the case, is found in the next verse, and the next word of that verse says this, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. You know, it'd be, it, it, it would do you good to remember the moment that you gave your heart to Christ. I go back to a mission, Brother Aldrich. I didn't pick you up there, but the Lord picked me up one night in the mission. Pacific Garden Mission of downtown Chicago, Illinois. My father was preaching to a packed out house that night, about 300 men off the streets of Chicago. I went along as a seven-year-old boy because that's dad and he's preaching. And it's downtown Chicago on a Christmas Eve. That night, my father preached on heaven and hell. I'd never, of course, I've been in church my whole life, but I'd never heard it preached quite like that. Here's what happened. The Spirit of God touched my heart that night. I was sitting in the very back row with some other folks from our church. When my father gave the invitation, I knew, I knew immediately that was for me. That's what I needed to do. When he asked folks to come, leave their place and come to the front, somebody would take the Bible and show them from the Bible how they could go to heaven. I looked down that aisle from where I was back in that mission, and it looked like three miles from where I was standing. I looked around at the people all around me, these men, rough old men off the streets of Chicago, and I was scared to death. But I wasn't scared enough to realize my need of a Savior, and I told the Lord that night, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to die and go to hell. I know that. But I want you to be my Savior, and the best way I know how I'm asking you right now to save me. Can I tell you that night when we got back, Home, I said, Dad, there's something that happened to me tonight I wanted to tell you about. And I told him. He spent the next hour taking a Bible and showing me very carefully so that he knew that I understood what I had done. My father baptized me the following Sunday. It'd be good to remember your salvation from where Jesus met you and picked you up. It says, remember. And then it says, and repent. And watch this, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, watch this now, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He's now complimenting them again. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now watch this. There is a way that churches change over years. Somebody just this very week was watching me on YouTube in another state and the only reason I have a YouTube channel is because we canceled our services for six Sundays a couple of years back. My mother's always wanted me to be, and if, Mom, if you're going to watch this, uh, hello, I love you very much. My mother I love. But the only reason I'm on YouTube, one of the reasons, is because my mother wants to see her son. And I'm a mama's boy. 
But the truth of the matter is, I, if it's left to me, I'd rather not be. I don't understand the Internet. I don't understand live stream. I, I'm not a fan necessarily of it. But we live in a time when it seems to be some, another hook that you can throw out. And so I throw it out. But uh, I've often said, if you want to hear me preach, just come hear me. That's the best way. But um, I, uh, I know this. There's a reason churches change over years. This church at Ephesus was a marvelous church. It was probably the mother church or the founding church. It's from this church that Paul pastored three years. Timothy was pastoring at, at this time as well this, and, and became pastor in this church later. It had great leadership and it evangelized the whole Asia Minor area. But you see something happening in Ephesus. You see that this church has left its first love. The next church, in verse number 8, is the church at Smyrna. There's not one thing, not one word of warning that is given to the church at Smyrna. It was a church that had inherited intense persecution. It was a church that took a stand... It was a church that knew something of standing for Christ. Because there is no warning given to this church, I'm going to pass on to the next church, verse number 12. It's the church at Pergamos. To the angel of the church at Pergamos write, and this church is the furthest north of these seven churches. These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Again, describing Christ there in chapter number 1. I know thy works... And where thou dwellest, watch this now, even where Satan's seat is. You know, honestly, I think that Jefferson County needs a great revival. It needs a touch of God. I think Festus in particular does. But I wouldn't go as far to say that Satan's seat or throne is right here in Festus, Missouri. I'd hate, I, 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 I don't know what it'd be like in Pergamus to pastor the church where Satan's headquarters is, but that's the way it was. And the Bible says there that not only is his seat there, but thou holdest fast my name. In spite of Satan's and uh, attacks, you're still holding my name. And hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas, some pronounce it, Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Verse number 14 says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And let me just stop and summarize that basically. It was to cause the children of Israel to intermarry with pagan or heathen people. And as a result, they began to act and worship the pagan false gods over a period of time. That's really what Balaam was all about. And it says to eat things, and there it describes that, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication 
And he goes on and says, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So he's warning them, you change, stop it, or I'm going to judge you. Verse 17 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So you've got the church at Ephesus. They left their first love, Christ. And when Christ went out, something happened in this next church, Pergamos. This is a church that is, in verse number 14, it says that they hold the doctrine of Balaam. This doctrine of, I'll just summarize it by using the word compromise. I'm so glad that Brother Boer and I went to a college. And this is no lie, but if you did not take a pair of scissors and cut the word quit and the word compromise out of your dictionary in your dormitory room, you would be cut off. You would be cast out. You would no longer be a student in that Bible college. They would go and check your dictionary. To this day, I've got a dictionary. There's no word quit. I don't know what was on the other page, but the word quit is gone. And the word compromise is gone. And I'm so glad that they are. But here's the church at Pergamos that says, you know what, we're going to hold to the doctrine of Balaam. I know the Lord hates it, but we're going to compromise a little bit. How are we going to win the world if we don't become... Let's go to another church. Look at verse number 18. Here's the third church in the line of order that I'm giving you. And unto the angel of the church at Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Again, a description of Christ in chapter 1. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. A lot of good things so far, notwithstanding I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a a bed in them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the church, uh, and all the churches shall know that I am He which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. And verse number twenty-four says this. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now watch this. 
Thyatira, this church is listening, has permitted a woman to have authority and to teach, but her name is Jezebel. Does anybody that has been saved long enough will know that Jezebel is not the most colorful, godly character in our Bibles. But that's who this church has allowed in to lead them astray. So I see a progression here. The progression starts at Ephesus where they leave their first love. If you do that, it will not be long as a church before you will be like the church at Pergamos. And you then will be compromising. And it won't be much longer. You'll be like the church at Thyatira. And you will be tolerating sin. It's amazing how a church can start off in the beginning and end up hardly recognizable even as a church. But it happens. It even happens in 2022. And every time it happens, I always want to look back and trace the history of how it happened. And almost always, it happens the way it's recorded in your Bible, Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter number 3. Somewhere we leave our first love. And when Christ goes out, we begin to compromise. The world comes in. Did you know that you'll go home, some of you, and you'll listen on your television and hear words that you would never want to be uttered in this place? And you'll justify it. Maybe it's a movie or a show. You'll justify it by saying this. Well, it's just a few. And eventually the few will become many because you're going to then tolerate, and you know it's wrong, it's called sin, right? But churches do the same thing. But let's go on to a fourth one. You see that in Revelation chapter number 3. And by the way, there's one there in the church at Philadelphia. And again, nothing is really said there in chapter number 3 to warn this church. It also had persecution, so I'll pass that. But look at this fourth church in this prescription for a downfall. In verse number 1 of chapter number 3, it's the church at Sardis. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Isn't it amazing? Just four churches away from the church at Ephesus. And now we've got a church that has a name, but... The reality is it's dead. A dead church. And he goes on and describes it. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. Thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled, I love this, have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 
He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Hear me, I've been saved long enough to see where churches used to be, but are no longer where they used to be. And I, I wonder, how did that happen? I was at a funeral this morning of a man 70 years of age. He got saved in this little country church, and I mean very, very far in the country. It was one of these little shotgun buildings built in 1910. If they grew, they just bumped the wall behind me out and added on to it another few feet. You just sat in this long shotgun church, but his body laid in front of the pulpit. Watch this now. He was saved as a kid in that church. His great-grandparents and grandparents, now parents, are buried in a little cemetery right next to the church. After he got saved, he got involved in that church. He even was active in the youth group they had back in the day. He surrendered to preach in that church. And for 35 years, he pastored the same church. God called him home a few days ago. I got to thinking, that little country church, a lot has changed in that church's life, but my prayer was, Lord, don't ever let it give up on people, even little children. You may save one of them. You may call them to preach. They may pastor a church or some mission field or surrender to some service, but that little church had an impact far beyond its building. But we're at the church at Sardis that's now got a name that it's alive, but it's not. It's dead. But there's one more in this progression. It actually is a degression. Look at verse number 14 of chapter number 3, and I'll close. This one perhaps is the one that you are most familiar with. And unto the angel, the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen and the, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and re. And then look at these last few verses. Behold, this is Christ. I stand at the door and knock. That's the door of the church. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. The church at Laodicea is the church that's 
neither hot nor cold. We would call it a, an apostate church. It's long since left the book. Now, how does that happen? I mean, these churches were on fire at one time, doing what God had commissioned them to do. What a trail of soul-winning power. What blessings rested upon these churches. But now we've seen something happen to each of these churches. And if you were to visit the sites of these areas... You wouldn't find what you just read about here as far as doing works for the Lord. So here's how I see it. It starts out good. The church at Ephesus was a wonderful church. It had an incredible influence in its area. And there were a lot of good things said about the church at Ephesus, except it left its first love. You better watch it because that's the first step backwards. And it won't be long till you'll be like the next church, the church at Pergamos. The church at Pergamos opened the door and it began to compromise with the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. They held that doctrine. This compromise. And they took a step back. And then the next church that you see, the church at Thyatira, which has got a woman teaching named Jezebel, and she's leading so many people astray. But the church sits there and allows that because they're now tolerating sin. And they took a step back. And then you come to the church at Sardis. Just four steps back. And this church has a name that it's alive, but it's anything but alive. It's as dead as dead can be. And then you finally get to the church at Laodicea, the last church on the little route there. And it's just completely... Neither hot nor cold, just lukewarm, and it makes God sick. It's an apostate church. How can churches start out so great and become so wrong? You just saw how. Can I tell you that the wiles of the devil not only work in churches this way, they work in people this way. Go ahead and lose your first love. Go ahead and forget where you fell and Jesus met you and picked you up. It won't be long before you'll be compromising. And it won't be long after you compromise, you'll start tolerating known sin. And it won't be long before you'll have the name, but you won't have the life that backs up the name. Been saved for quite a while now. And I've seen what I thought were some wonderful, wonderful, blessed churches. And in some cases, they don't even exist. 
They're gone. And I'm not talking about little churches like you would think. I'm talking about some pretty big churches. And they're gone. But if they are, it's because they probably follow this digression in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. I love this church. I love the men who stood behind this pulpit and have faithfully proclaimed the Word of God. I've known three of your pastors. And I say as long as we have breath, let's serve Him. And while we serve Him, let's love Him. And let's lift Him up and let's get excited about Him. And let's keep the joy of our salvation. And let's never forget where He saved us from. And let's march forward. And if you have a dictionary, I'd suggest it wouldn't be bad for you either to cut that word compromise out. Because compromise is usually where it starts. After you've left your first love. When Christ goes out, the world comes in and you'll start compromising. And soon you'll start tolerating worldly sin. And it won't be long. You'll have a name, Christian, but you won't have the lifestyle. Heavenly Father, enough has been said from behind this pulpit tonight to give us something to think about, not only on our way home, but in the morning when we get up. I wonder if there's anything in our life that would jar us to realize that we don't love Jesus like we used to. If someone here tonight is like that, I pray, Spirit of God, help them to repent by remembering where we were saved. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed with no one looking around. How many tonight would say, Brother Oates? I see not only how churches can change, but I see how believers can change. And tonight, the Lord used that in my life. Please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? God bless you. God bless you. Shall we stand? Father, dismiss us now with your love. Thank you again for a Wednesday night Bible study. How well I remember, just like a sponge soaking up the Word of God, this dear lady who gave a testimony to begin this service about the power of the Word of God. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can change our lives. So allow us to use it. May we build our lives around it. Again, we pray for this dear pastor, Brother Boer. God, I pray you continue to not only give him good health, but Lord, you continue to use him in the lives of these precious people. Thank you for bringing him here. Watch over these dear believers as we leave and go to our homes. Lord, we look forward to the Lord's day with great anticipation. Surely you're coming is imminent. Help us to live like it in Jesus' name.
Amen. You're dismissed.